0: So we continue it on. Verse 16. For this reason, uh, what reason? The law brings about wrath. It shows us the law is just and holy, but it cannot cleanse the sinner. It can only establish the truth of God. You've sinned, you've failed. And so again, we say the sacrifice was what appeased the law. It was the blood on the mercy seat kept the law from crying out for justice, which God demands. He's not changed, okay? The law is just and holy. It's a reflection of who God is. It's not separate from him. But to satisfy his own anger and wrath, the blood represented Jesus Christ. So his life is counted as righteousness, and therefore uh, he cannot judge. He's covered them. This was the Old Covenant. In the New, he cleansed the conscience and gave them himself. He lives within us. He is made our salvation. So when people talk of salvation as an experience, it's false. It's experiencing Christ. It's relationship with Christ, not something from Christ. It's Christ himself. is made unto us, the scripture says, redemption and sanctification for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be accordance with grace god initiated it man had nothing to do with the plan so that the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants the jew and the gentiles abraham's called the father of faith to all not only to those who are under the law the jew but to those who are of faith, anyone, the Gentiles, who is the father of us all. So spiritually, Abraham's our spiritual father. He was the first. And God credited what he did as instituting the covenant. And he did the same as in Christ. He represented Christ and God's plan for man. Okay? Thus it is by faith. Righteousness is credited to man and by God's plan and grace. Well, we've been here before, but the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 12 and 13. But as many as receive him, who Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those that believe in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, who were born not of blood, Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, salvation's plan, man had nothing to do with. But to receive the plan, man must confess and repent and fall in line. He can obey the plan and believe it, or he can disbelieve it. That's his right. Okay? So, when people say, well, we don't have nothing to do with works and they keep on sinning, well, they're in a false illusion because they haven't received the plan properly. The plan works. Scripture says God works in us, and out of us, the Spirit of Christ. So those who continue and grow sin and claim to be Christians are lying, and they're under a lying spirit, and they are not saved. Very simple, okay? The plan of salvation is of God. No man's plan or works. All the offspring of Abraham, Jew and Gentile, whoever has faith in Jesus, righteousness is accredited to them. So, Abraham is the spiritual father of us all. The covenant came through him. Not only the Moses law and limited effects came because of Abraham, and also the way of grace and Jesus Christ. They all proceeded from what God did with Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Okay, Abraham, the father of many nations, but those who follow the steps of the faith as he did, that's the condition. They have to follow his steps. And what was that we're going to see was a continual faith. It wasn't a one-time act. That was the beginning. It took years. And finally, when he offered up Isaac as an offering, God said, now I know. See, he wouldn't complete it. And then God proceeded to bring forth the promises. It wasn't until then, till he was tested and remained faithful, See, his faith was tested. He overcame that way, see, and that's how we overcome staying in Christ and resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil by the grace and weapons that he gives us. Thus, God gives spiritual life to those who are once dead in their sins. Christ is eternal life to those who are once dead and trespasses and sin. So he calls into being eternal life. He gives his own life, not only on the cross, but he enters the Christian. He yokes himself with our spirit. He said, and he that joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. So see, all that he has is given to us. We linked with him. So those who don't want to follow Jesus, those who don't want to obey him and be led of his spirit, the yoke is broken. The branch is cut off. They have the right to exercise their will to accept a plan or not accept a plan. The will of the plan is none of their business. Them receiving and obeying the plan is their business. And this is why the book of Revelations to the seven churches always ends with, he who overcomes. Never states that they did overcome to the end. They were walking in the spirit, many of them, but that was their lifestyle. But he said, you have to finish to the end. And then he gives the promises. Never once does he say they've overcome? Never once does he says it's faith alone. That's why Martin Luther didn't like the book of Revelations. He just did away with the books that didn't suit his heresy. It's not by faith alone. You don't find that in scripture. That's a very heretical teaching. It's just as bad as the Roman Catholic uh, works of men and human traditions and so forth because it's licensed people to sin. It tells them something that is not true. So you can see why he wanted to do away with the book of Revelation, because Jesus said to each church, and he commended one or two of them, one of them he had no bad to say about, but he said, if you overcome, I'll give you this. They still had to finish their life in an overcoming fashion. They had to be a starter, a continuer, and a finisher, or therefore they did not make it. Very plain and simple. This is probation. Calvinistic people hate that word. Well, you'd say I'm under, you are under probation. If you are not faithful to the end, you will not make it. Very plain and simple. You can see why they want this greasy grace religion so it'll soothe their wicked conscience and blind them to the truth and to their duty to stay with God. Okay. And so... He gives life. Uh, He gives himself. He is our eternal life as he uh, stays in us and we stay in him. The branches receive their life through Christ, the vine. We receive eternal life by staying in Christ. And if we don't follow him, the law of Christ, and we don't draw from him, it says the Father will cut you off and your end will be to be burned. So he's talking about the person that's really in Christ, but does not continually bear the life of Christ. It proves he's not being led of the Spirit. He's got mental knowledge, which doesn't do him a bit of good. Remember, Jesus taught all the parables, and then he told the disciples, do you understand what I've said? And they said, yeah. Well, he said, blessed are you that do these things, And then he gives the last parable in that phrase of this house built on sand. He said, those who build on the sand, the house, spiritual house, collapses. But if you do my word and obey it, he says, you're building on a rock. The implication is you determine what the spiritual house is. Everything's provided. Now you either obey it or you don't. And see, people don't like that. But that's the truth. Okay. So in verse 18, in hope against hope, Abraham believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that, according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. He was not weak and fable in faith. It means it was not a one-time experience. It took many years. He was not weak and feeble. He walked by faith. He did realize, we will see, in verse 19, people misunderstand this sometimes. Translators sometimes don't get it right. Without becoming weak in faith, so it wasn't a one-time believing. Oh, I believe and I don't ever have to worry about it like the lying Calvinistic people teach. He contemplated his own body. He looked at his body and said, it is as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was about 90. He said he did consider this, that they were as good as dead, but he didn't look to that. He looked to God's word. He said God gave this promise, and it's God's business how he works it out. See, that was his faith. So he did consider his body As being dead and hopeless. That's why it says he hoped against hope. His spiritual hope superseded his natural hoping or wishing, we could say. A lot of people have hope that they're Christians and they're going to be saved, but they're not. It's a false hope because it's banked on false teaching and a false gospel. Oh, they believe it, though. They'll live and die believing they're Christians until they wake up into the lake of fire and the truth is given to him. So people can believe a lie and be damned. And they do. And they can have a false peace. And, oh, I've dealt with these people. They sin all they want, but it's all grace. We're covered by the blood. We can do nothing. And they go about living in sin the proven. Well, they're going to end up in the lake of fire. There's no other place for them. Okay? So he believed and his faith was tested. See, a lot of people say, just believe in the Lord and you'll be saved. That's not true. That's the beginning. Abraham took many years and many years of certain testing that he overcame and obeyed. He did not turn his back, he held on to the word of God continuously. And when he offered Isaac up, when he was a teenager, most likely, that was years later when the promise had been given. And he was made righteous by staying in in God's word and believing it. Uh, when he offered to kill his son as God commanded, then the Lord stopped him and said, "Now I know." See now, and it was only after that that he was ready to offer his son that the blessing started to come to pass. Cause his faith had to be tested, and it was greatly tested for many years. Okay, and so verse twenty. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, okay, what God told him, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. There's no one-time experience here. He had to stay in that experience. Four times, like I say, at least three to four times in the epistles, he quotes the old and says, my just one will live by faith. Didn't say he'll have a one-time experience. He he will live by space. And what Paul said, these are the sons of God, those who are led. This is continuous by the Spirit. Just entering the gate and the race don't make you a Christian at the end. It's only if you continue. And that's what Abraham did. So all natural hope was gone or dead, yet he believed in God's promise and word. The unique thing is it was getting worse. It seemed like God's promises were getting harder and harder to fulfill because he was getting older. And then the final stage, after he's been given this son, the promise, the beginning of the promise, God says, I want you to sacrifice him. Well, in Abraham's natural mind, he began to think, well, if I kill the promise, there will be no descendants. So he had a little confusion going on in the natural realm. But he said, if God said to do it, He believed that God would raise him from the ashes. That's how strong his faith was, and that's why I was going to offer him. He understood, if I do what God tells me, God will have to raise him from the dead. He'll have to raise him from the ashes. But whatever God is telling me to do this, I must do this. That proved his great faith. That was the act of his greatest faith was then. So all natural hope had gone, He believed in God's promise. I will kill Isaac because God commands it, but all the promises come through Isaac. So what I'm left to think is God will have to raise him from the dead or do something to fulfill his word. And he held to God's word and he was going to kill his son until the angel spoke from heaven and told him not to, okay? He did not waver, doubt. He did not become double-minded. But through testings, he grew stronger in faith, giving all honor to God. Honoring God by saying, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you'll have to work something out. It's beyond my understanding. Now look at James, because it's relevant here. James 1, 6-8. But let him ask, talk about the Christian, ask God for certain things with faith. See, you have to have faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the lord for he is double minded and unstable in all of his ways that would have happened to abraham if he argued and reasoned with his own understanding but he got past that he said god's true to his word and if he makes it harder and harder then that's his business. But I trust in God's word. So that's what Christians ought to do. Again, the just one will live by faith. He doesn't have a one-time experience, and everything's a roller coaster ride down. These people deserve to be deceived. You're not to feel sorry for them. The Bible says that the, Revelation time, uh, tribulation time, God's going to send a lying spirit to deceive most of the people because they don't want the truth. But They will acknowledge the love of the truth. It's God's will doing that. Jesus said, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, Father, that you've hid these things from the earthly minded, the wise, the brilliant, and you revealed them to the simple. Why? Because the simple obey. The others don't. So God's purpose is not to reveal the truth to a practicing sinner who is resisting the truth. People don't get that. That's why I don't believe God hounds people for 20 and 30 years. Paul said you warn a heretic two or three times that have nothing to do with them. They've got their conscience. They've got the gospel. They can at any time consider those things and exercise their will to turn to God, and God will respond. He'll give them grace, see? But they're not to be hounded. You do not cast pearls before the swine. When they show they don't want it, Paul said when he preached to the Jews in the synagogue, and they rejected it, he said, you judge yourselves unworthy of the kingdom. And then he said, now I'll go to the Gentiles. He didn't mess with them after two or three Sabbaths. He didn't argue with them no more. A few got saved, most of them didn't. He didn't keep going back week after week for years and years preaching to the same disobedient, hardened, demon-possessed people. He just didn't do it, okay? So there's a lot of false gospel out there. Deathbed repentance is a rare thing. When people are afraid and they just want fear in God's punishment, that's no purpose of being saved. See, they want to be saved to escape hell because they're a backslider, or a false Christian, and the terror and the wrath of their nature is coming upon them, and very few of them are saved, especially when they've been given years and years of opportunity to turn to the Lord and take up their cross and follow him. Well, tell me how a person can take up their cross and follow him when they've only got two minutes left of their life, okay? So 421. Okay, and being this is a great promise here. People misuse it so much, but that don't nullify. It's a great promise, and being fully assured that God had promised of what He promised—that was his faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are true. He was convinced, fully convinced, that God was able to fulfill the promise. He didn't look so much at his natural. As heaven it's just it can get worse and worse, but God's word stands. And so that's why he was a man of faith. And he was able that God not only promised, but he was able to perform what he promised, superseding all natural hopes that had given way and failed. He's a hundred years old. Sarah's 90. And yet he still believes the Bible says, out of your body will come. The descendant, not out of your concubines, but out of Sarah's body. He makes it harder. Remember, Abraham listened to Sarah and got him a concubine and thought, well, maybe you're going to have children. Well, he did. But God said, But he's not the blessed seed. It's going to be through Sarah. And remember, she laughed when she was in the tent, listening to the Lord, the angels talking to Abraham. And the Bible says she laughed she found it sort of absurd. And when Abraham went in, he said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't. Well, the angel and the Lord told him she did laugh. And what did she name the child? Isaac, child of laughter, is what it meant. So she was acknowledging that God has caused me to laugh because it seemed so impossible. Okay. Being fully, wholeheartedly convinced of God's promise and that God would perform it. And as we get back, why most professing Christians and many Christians, the scripture, they claim all they want and it don't work. Because if you're not walking in the spirit and you're not obeying the Lord and you're double-minded and up and down, none of the promises will work. See, they're holding on to prophecies that don't amount to anything anymore. God can give you a word and you can fail at it, And that word don't apply no more. Some people go back, well, the Lord told me 30, well, you failed. You didn't obey the Lord. He changed his mind. He went to something else. See, he said, he will repent of the good I intended to do you. That's the law of prophecy. I can prophesy, the Lord can say, I will pronounce good to do to you. And if you do not keep following me, he said, I will repent of the good I intended to do you, and I will do you evil or I will punish you for your sin. So a lot of people are claiming something that doesn't apply. They've misunderstood, or their mind's gotten away, or they want something so bad, they twist Scripture. So I've seen this happen. They manipulate Scripture to say what they want it to say, and they forget one or two little clauses. You have to walk in the Spirit. It has to be according to the will of God, and you must do it by faith. Well, that nullifies 99% of the people, okay? So it's never a problem on God's side. The problem's always on man's side. So we have to deal with that. So when people fail at something major, especially if they're a Christian, they have to go back to God and seek his will and find out if those things apply anymore or he's going to waste his life seeking for something that God's not in. So that's why we judge ourselves, and at times we have to hear from God whether this applies anymore. If it was conditional, all prophecy is conditional as far as personal prophecy. Condition on you staying with the Lord, having faith, and doing his will. Those are the conditions. Well, most people don't meet those conditions. They waver. They're double-minded, and yet they're still holding some empty promise that won't work because it doesn't apply. Okay, And so we see then, we see this today. Many professing Christians the real Christians. They try to do the same like Abraham, but they can't. Abraham was obedient. And everything God told him to do, he obeyed, proving what he believed. See? He proved that he believed in God's promises while conforming by obeying him. See, there's the difference there, okay? So we have today, but sin, disobedience, and wrong asking are not honored by God, okay? Faithful wealth, the prosperity movement, complete health and such are not always according to God's will. See, they want to believe it, but it's not true. Actually, God warns more about having wealth for the Christian than getting wealth. He says, you'll fall into many hurtful lusts. Immediately, he says, be content with godliness. Well, that does away with seeking riches and money. And the only time he increases grace for wealth and money, if you read the full scripture, they don't read the other half. It's for liberality to help others. It was not for self-gratification. So that's why the prosperity people on their way to hell they're into materialism. They're set on this world and it's called covetousness. It's called idolatry. So when a person all they talk about is wealth and health, you're seeing a heretic that's headed to hell. Okay? And so we see all of this will not work. Faith does not make God do anything. Some people think you can quote scripture enough and God has to do it. That's witchcraft. That's manipulation you don't manipulate God. You don't force his hand. That's arrogance, and pride is what it is. It has nothing to do—when those people ask for God, it says they ask in humility. They seek the will of God in all of these things. Thus, Faith in his word and will and purposes is what's included. That nullifies 95% of all asking and believing because they're asking for unspiritual things or something that God has told them he's not in. They think if they keep exercising faith, God will change his mind. That's what Balaam did. And it got him killed with the sword for disobeying the Lord. He thought he would try a different method. It didn't work with God. So we see then, as we've said before, human happiness depends on what happens. Uh, We can call happiness joy, but if you want to make a division, a regular happiness means uh, you get your desires and you find your life. And Jesus said, if you do, you lose your soul. You're living for yourself, okay? But true joy from the Spirit does not depend on the outward. You can have sorrow. He was... Paul said he was greatly in sorrow. Jesus was a man of sorrows, but he had joy with his relationship with the Father. So he's saying the true Christian's joy is not outward. It's a spiritual thing that separates between those who are really Christians and those who are not. It is dependent on God's will and desires regardless of the ups and downs, sorrows and conflicts, Warfare and basic necessities. That's why Paul said, I've learned how to abound, have much, and I've learned how to be in need. In whatever state I'm in, he said, I've learned contentment because it's a spiritual thing. See? So people who are thinking it's always on, if I have this, I'll be happy. If I have that, they're dealing in the earthly realm, has no basis in the spiritual realm. Okay? Verse 22. Therefore, why? Because he was fully assured what God had promised, and he was able, he was fully assured God would perform it. Therefore, that's the kind of faith he had. It was also credit to him as righteousness. See? It was credit to him before the promises were fulfilled. He lived on these promises, he walked by these promises, he had faith and that which was not seen. He didn't see the Jewish people as the stars of heaven and the grains of sand. He didn't live long enough to see that. So he still lived and died in faith. He saw certain events happen that showed him, that confirmed his belief that God would do that, and that he would bring a deliverer through the Jewish people. And that deliverer was Jesus Christ. So because of 19 to 21, righteousness was credited to him. His obedience to God's will and plan proved his belief in it. He lived by faith. That's the spiritual work. That's the fruit bearing. That's the obedience that is required of the Christian. You live that way, and then you prove what you believe. 60 times roughly, the Gospel of John talks about belief, believing, believed. And if you study that word, it means a belief that leads to action. It's not a mental belief, it means you conform to it. If you say, I believe in the Lord, then you follow the Lord. You can't believe in the Lord as the heretic says, Well, he's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Well, as we said, Savior is only mentioned about 16 times in the New Testament. Lord is mentioned 450 sometimes. So what do you think it means? No, if he's your savior, he's your Lord. If you're a believer, you're a disciple. There's no separation. Heretics do that to justify their sin, and God gives them over the lying spirit. That's why you can find brilliant professors and brilliant that can quote all kinds of scripture, but they can't see the truth because God has hidden it from them it's by spiritual. You can take the most brilliant person in the world, he can study the Bible back and forth, and God will keep certain truths from him. He won't really comprehend. Oh, he can quote scripture, and he can divide the words into all these things, but like I say, I know a man who's still living today who preaches heresy, and I heard him when I was 19, and I'm 69 now, and he's still a Calvinistic liar preaching greasy grace. Well, obviously, his quoting the whole New Testament, and much of the old hasn't done him any spiritual good, has it? Because he's lost in his sins and trespasses. Verse 23 and 24, And not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake, God's plan originated, and it was exposed through Abraham. And because of his faithfulness as Christ's righteousness, it's going to be imparted this way to his offspring if they'll walk the same way, okay? And those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, okay? So our part is to believe that Jesus died for our sins, was crucified, and resurrected to prove his sacrifice was acceptable and he 25 was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification that word there justification can be easily translated to righteousness to make us righteous so that's what we're believing that's what we're believing in this person and so if we follow the same kind of faith that Abraham did and we believe that Jesus was raised for the dead because he died for our sins, then it means his offering has been accepted before God, okay? Verse 25, I went too far, but as he said, delivered over for our transgressions, for our sins, our transgressions, the sin, the iniquity, it comes in many avenues and many facets, Christ was judged for us on the cross. He was made sin for the sinner. Though he had no sin in himself, God judged him as a sinner because our sins were placed on him. The perfect one for the sinner. He was raised for our justification or righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And he was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. See, the Spirit resurrected him to prove his sacrifice was acceptable, that he was a perfect sacrifice, a sinless one, and therefore death could not hold him, okay? The raising of his body was proof that no sin was in him. He was a perfect sacrifice for the sinner, and his body saw no decay. It waited till his spirit entered it after three days, and the Holy Spirit raised him the third day. Now, one more scripture. Go to Psalms 16, 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. This is probably speaking of the three days he descended into paradise, and his body lay dead in the tomb. Okay? For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or the grave, or hell. They were interchangeable words nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus' body could not corrupt or decay because there was no sin in him. And the angels and the Lord God, Himself, Holy Spirit saw to it that no corruption could touch it. He did not begin the process of decay. He laid there waiting for his spirit. And it says, And you will show me the path of life in your presence as fullness of joy And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He stands at the right hand of God now as the eternal everlasting Father, as the Word of God, as the Son of God, face-to-face with God, part of what we call the Trinity, because we have no better word, that's who he is. His full glory as God, the divine nature, it was returned, and he still stands As a man, mediator, a perfect human before the Father as a mediator for us. Let's close here. Lord, help us to understand what is given to us and guard us from the lying deceptions and the many false heresies and false Christians that are out there. As you said, it will be as in the days of Noah and Lot, and only one or two people were saved at that time. So help us to not allow anyone to steal our crown, to hold out and overcome until you come for us or until your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen.